you don't need to compromise profits to be purpose-driven. Mm. And we've seen that example in a lot of successful businesses, like thank you for one of them, is that I think we are moving into this new economy where people are demanding um you know that positive impact and so by doing that you can actually thrive mm-hmm. and make great profits yeah. and create a great working culture mm-hmm. yeah i mean and and where it's like so we've got these consumer businesses that you can now buy from the better and people are starting to shift that way and it might start that it costs a bit more for the consumer and they may be happy with that but it's also going down in price and something like thank you it's not an out of reach product but then what's starting, what I'm starting to learn about now is like banks and superannuation, for example. You've now got, you know, not new, but ethical super, for example, our investment fund. If they're investing that money ethically, there are going to be more businesses that are more viable, mm. have more scope to uh, build businesses that are ethical and yeah. improving the world. Real People is produced by Square Holes, an agency conducting and publishing customized explorative research on key consumer markets, customers and population segments. Squareholes also provides associated consulting and support to ignite positive business and social behavior change. Visit squareholes.com for more. Radio, hello there. My name is Jason Dunstone and welcome to Real People, where we interview average and not so average people, academics, researchers and leading thinkers to help us better understand what real people believe and how they behave. Today we are joined by Beck and Simon Smolchua, recent founders of Harvey. You can find them at weareharvey.com. Beck is a former B&T 30 Under 30 finalist and comes from marketing roles including For Good Enterprise Thank You and Posterscope, a market leader in out-of-home communications. Simon is a former breakdancer whose digital and marketing roles have included Executive Strategy Director at Isobar and VP of Global Marketing at Lexa. This is a wonderful chat about love, marketing and business and how many businesses are following a higher purpose to have a wider social impact, build strong teams and grow strong businesses. Let's not waste a moment. On with the show. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning... All right. Thank you so much, Simon and Beck, for, or Beck and Simon, for, for joining us today. I'm going to start off with the curveball question, then I'll get on to our normal question that we start with. Um, what does love mean to you? Whoa. <laughs> big question. <laughs> That's a big one. <laughs> big question. Oh. Love. Pause. I think last week I, we asked about one, 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 we asked about curiosity and we asked about something different. What, what, what does love mean to you? I think, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was, oh, I'm just like, the first words which come to mind is um, warmth yeah. when I think of love, but also um, selfless, selflessness yeah. um, when you're yeah putting someone else before you mm. lay yeah. down your agenda. Yeah, and, okay. Yeah. And that could be personal, or it could, I guess it could even be a business, couldn't it? Or, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think it's like compassion as yeah. well. Like, um, I think... Too often we judge people on the surface when you actually think about everybody's situation, whoever that is, someone that cut you off in traffic or a bad business meeting, they're actually in their inside are probably really lovely. They've got something special in them. So if you try and see that in people and don't just go, oh, they were rude, they suck, 
yeah. but actually be like, what, where did that come from? Who are they? And understanding. It's something we talk about a bit sometimes when, yeah. um, you know, some people judge someone a certain way and you're like, oh, you know, they're not that bad. They're actually pretty good. They just had a bad moment yeah, or yeah. were stressed or um, maybe that's coming from a point of mental health or whatever. But, yeah, just that compassion and understanding where people are coming from, yeah, I feel. That's yeah, that's cool. Now, where are we meeting today? Just so you, you, this is where your your base, your co working space. Yeah, what's, yeah. It, what's it called? Uh, so we're in one roof today, and this is where we work out of during the week. It's a awesome co working space in space in South Bank in yeah. Melbourne, and it's uh, it's for female led entrepreneurs. And it's an amazing community here of uh, women who are just creating and innovating and going for it, basically. Yeah. So, what makes it different when it's sort of when it's sort of like the f- focus on female entrepreneurs? What do you think the vibe is? Have you worked in other sort of co-working spaces? What What do you think makes the vibe different? Yeah, I think um, in a lot of co-working spaces, you walk down to your desk or past the kitchen. And no one looks at you in the eye or yeah. acknowledges you. They're kind of like, oh, yeah, back down to, to working. Whereas here, you sit down next to someone or walk past someone and they're like, hey, how's it going? How was your day? Or uh, what did you do on the weekend? Or how did that big pitch you do, did yesterday work out? Or yeah. they're genuinely interested. It feels like colleagues, like you're yeah. working together in a team. We often feel like that. Yeah. And that's quite unique. A lot of co-working spaces pitch themselves yeah. as being it's a hub of energy and innovation, but everyone's at their desk doing their thing. They don't talk to you because they're busy and yeah, for yeah, whatever yeah. reason. So mm. it's really got a genuine like community. It's it's hard yeah. to describe without... Yeah. More of a loving feeling almost. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I really enjoy, they have on Fridays, every Friday, they have wine down at five o'clock, which yeah. is wine and cheese. And we all get together yeah. and sort of debrief the week or mm-hmm. talk yeah. about yeah. random stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. It's yeah. really nice, yeah. Yeah. Right, so I'll... I'll start with Simon on this one. What were you like when you were a kid? What were you like when you were eight? Eight-ish. Eight, ten, something eight, like that. Ten. Shy, nerdy. Uh, I liked Lego. Where was I when I was nine? I was in Ballarat. Uh, I liked riding my bike, climbing trees. Yeah, super shy. I was a single kid with my mum. Yeah. Um, had a friend up the road, Adam, that we hung out a lot. Yeah. Um, Pretty simple, though. Yeah. yeah. Were you studious? Were you curious about stuff? Did you like school? I think I liked my teacher. I had a great teacher, Mr. Feller. He was amazing. Um, uh, that age, you're pretty young and you're just doing what you do. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was a nice kid. I was a nice little boy, you know, yeah. but super shy. Yeah. And, um, yeah, pretty simple. But yeah. from Ballarat, as tiny town in victoria yeah. yeah so what's it like living in a town like that um cold yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. really really cold um but very small so like did you know did, does that mean you know everybody or is everyone that... on our street so our yeah. community was i went to a school of 26 kids yeah uh, with two teachers and um yeah i was in a class of six six kids in my year level um actually that was in two year levels so yeah small we walk I'd, I'd ride up the road to to school and i meet my friend along the way and we'd ride ride to school together out in, out in the bush in the middle of nowhere with uh, trees and stuff everywhere. And, um, yeah, really simple, very basic. Yeah. Very basic. And did you life. know what you wanted to do when you left school? At that point, no. Yeah. Later I did. Yeah. Later in probably, like, early high school. I, oh, I actually, through primary school and then into high school, I wanted to be an ar- uh, architect, definitely. I did yeah. a lot of drawing of architectural buildings and stuff. 
then that kind of shifted at some point I wanted to be an astronaut. I was like, I'm not an ast- not a pipe dream. It was like, I'm going to be an astronaut. This is yeah. my career path. Yeah. I'm doing yeah. it. And then I discovered that I needed to do it. The best path for me was to go through the military, Air Force, to mm. get a pilot thingy. And I don't sort of subscribe to the military stuff. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, nah, stuff that. Then I did an engineering course at, uh, this is in year 11 or 10, did an engineering three-week course at um, uh, Mitsubishi in Adelaide. So yeah. I moved over there. Um, and, yeah, was doing all this CAD stuff because I used to play with CAD programs when I was a kid and finished it all quickly. He was talking to this guy at his desk. I was like, oh, what are you working on there? You're like an engineer. You're like my aspiration. And he was working on a little bit of rubber on the front left door of a Magna. This is how I remember anyway. He had to change the size and dimensions of it slightly, which he's working on for weeks because the production line was changing. I was like, I do not want to be doing that when I grow up. (laughs) So then I realised I didn't know what I wanted to do and I just went travelling for... Uh, Overseas? Of, yeah. yeah. How long did you travel for? Like about a year. Yeah, Got okay. a pub in, uh, through through uh, Asia, so the usual backpacker route from Bali all the way up to Myanmar, yeah. and then went across to London and uh, worked in a pub there yeah. in North Wembley. Okay. Yeah, dick and frying stuff. Dick, what, we, what were you like when you were eight? <laughs> when I was 18? Eight. Oh, eight. Eight. Fun, yeah. When I was eight, so I was in Malaysia. I grew up in Malaysia. I came to Australia when I was 18. And I was a very active kid. Um, I had a very close group of friends, Mm -hmm. girlfriends, who our mums were like besties. So we would catch up every Friday at um, this like leisure club, I guess you'd call it, (laughs) to go swimming. And we had a Spice Girl club. So at eight years old, I was obsessed with Spice Girls. And uh, we used to, like, practice dance routines at the back of the swimming club. Yeah. And then at, <laughs> at dinner, when our mums would eat, we would actually, like, announce to the entire restaurant that we would, were going to perform a Spice Girl dance routine <laughs> now. And then uh, it was very disruptive and yeah. we got told off a lot. Um, but, yeah, that was, oh, that's <laughs> that was my childhood and memories yeah. of being oh, wow. eight years old. <laughs> yeah. So... So what was Malaysia like? Sort of like, what, like as a, as a was it a, a strong community? Like can the Mal- like Malaysian community versus a, a, when, you, when did you come oh, to Australia? Yeah, it's, it's quite different. Um, so yeah, I grew up in KL. Yeah. And I moved to Australia when I was eighteen, seventeen yeah. for yeah. uni. Yeah. Um, and obviously, it's quite a bit of different cultural differences. So how did you see the cultures were different? Oh, how do I? Exp- I guess like the what you would expect Asian culture is just generally a little bit more conservative um, very sort of family oriented uh, and then coming to Australia was uh, a little bit different Um, I don't know how to say less conservative is that what you're saying yeah Yeah, yeah, probably a little bit less Um, but I actually went straight into living on a res- in a residential college um, yeah. as part of Melbourne Uni, and it was a college called Whitley College, which was one of the smaller ones that had a lot of uh, kids from rural Australia, like yeah, yeah. just um, country. Yeah. And so me, city girl coming from KL, I was just very confused with a lot of the words being yeah. used. <laughs> Like, like tea yeah. was dinner, but ah. I thought it was like afternoon tea, and I was just very confused. What and about tar? Oh yeah, tar for thank you, and yeah, 
Australia is funny like that. You sort of yeah. we've got our we've got our English, but it's our own English. So yeah. We're yeah. Terms that no one else understands. Yeah. yeah. But you also didn't have a maid when you came here, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. I grew up very pampered. I had a housekeeper and a driver that used to drive me to school. And so when I came to is Malaysia... That a, is that a culture shock? Because we, we had a staff member that she was explaining yeah. her childhood and she grew up in Singapore and, and, and other countries as well. But she said, oh, yeah, we had a, we had a help around the house. Yeah. So when I... You have to do your own cleaning. I know. I, I was like, I called my mum on, I think, the first day I was in college, almost crying in tears and... I, don't, don't know how to work the washing machine, which is just pressing a button. But I was like, what do you do with the soapy stuff? And, yeah, oh, it's useless, really. Yeah. But I, le- I learned quickly. Yeah. And you've, like, so you've, you've just launched, so you launched Harvey yeah. Beck and, and then Simon, you joined a couple of months ago, a few yeah. months ago, yeah? Yeah. So, so where does, like, what got you to Harvey like what, what, yeah. what, what, got, what happened there? You got obviously got your career in between. Yeah. We can all look at your LinkedIn profile or whatever, sort of where, see where that was. What, what you got um, to that point? I think for me, yeah, so have been 10 years in the industry, started off in um, media and creative agencies and advertising, and then um, actually landed my dream job at the time, moved into client side for a social enterprise called Thank You, yeah. um, which uh, if people have heard about it, they do like hand washes and mm. bottled water and 100% of profits goes to ending global poverty. Yeah. So it was something that I was very passionate about because I always wanted to find that place where I you know, could be working in my passions of social justice as well as applying my skills to that. Um, I headed up the brand and digital teams there for four years and was very lucky to be part of the growth Mm -hmm. and um, be able to contribute to that. Loved it, had the most amazing time and was thinking a lot last year about my next career move and what I really wanted to do next. And I think we're sort of at a very interesting point in our our economy, um, a bit of like a tipping point where I think, you know, um, trust is in decline across all the major institutions and the political climate we're in, the Royal Commission. And I think Australians or people in general are wanting to do more to to take actions to improve the world and are expecting and looking towards businesses mm. to take that charge to um, be able to stand up and make social and positive environmental impact alongside profits yeah. and um, it feels like we're entering this new economy of business as a force for good so it's an area that I'm very passionate about I learned a lot about it thank you and um, wanted to be able to go out on my own and use my skills in marketing and brand strategy and doing creative campaigns yeah. to help businesses with purpose succeed. Yeah. And before Thank You, you were in some di- digital roles and marketing roles, is that right? Yeah. I was uh, media planning and buying yeah. and a cre- yeah, creative agency yeah. and account manager. So what was your sort of sense then without kind of, um, yeah, the, 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 pro- the, the good and bad side of marketing in terms of your observation in, yeah. in those, some of those roles. That's <laughs> it's interesting, like, to be, you know, where I am now and working with some amazing businesses. I actually started with my first client was K 
KFC mm-hmm. um, and fried chicken. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing sort of all the ways you can market fried chicken and be creative yeah. with that. And um, sorry, what was the question again? Did, like looking at sort of, I guess, how... The good and bad side of how marketing is done, oh, yeah. like in some of those groups there, because because sometimes you're talking about like yeah. um, brands for good and marketing for good, but yeah. but often you could argue yeah. that marketing isn't always for good. It's maybe the good is to to sell more stuff and and to to, to employ people, but yeah. sometimes a question of is it is it good versus evil? Yeah, exactly. And I'm I'm definitely more conscious about that now. Yeah. But yeah, it is crazy when you think about some of the big 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 global brands that I work for, the type of marketing budget that they had mm. selling things that maybe wasn't the best thing for your health or, yeah. um, you know, the the supply chain and the effects on the environment of operating the business and um, all of that is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. But I guess moving from that uh, into a business like Thank You, seeing then the other side of business how you can use that power of business to create positive impact and of course the role of marketing in growing um brand awareness so that people are buying more of that product and so that it's mm. making more impact is also yeah really cool that's excellent and simon so what what yeah. What brought you to Harvey? What was your... Um, yeah, I mean, it started when I grew up with hippies. My mum and dad are hippies. And, Is that right? Okay. Um, so what, uh, does, that, what does that school. mean in terms of your mum and dad are hippies? <laughs> well, so. well, through... I, I grew up with my mum and close to my dad, but, um, like, in high school, I was living with my mum and five other people. Yeah. Um, who were, I was in yeah, my teens. They were in their 20s. Um, there was a, a drum-making couple, a metal worker tarot card reader a puppet maker my mum ran a shop at the front that sold pottery supplies she's an artist um and uh, uh there was a gallery next door so yeah that was kind of my world and it was all dreadlocks and you know good times and happy yeah. happy vibes um and so i've always come from that perspective of um had that in my heart i guess of helping the world and um, so that was something you brought up as a yeah, seed as a child as yeah help, help the world help others and yeah. um and you know the establishment is bad and you know we're killing the planet and stuff <clears throat> but then yeah i went through very quickly started a business and got um you know when i was 19 and um did a bunch of stuff to get to working with australia's biggest companies and i went for a very commercial route and enterprise and business mm-hmm. for my whole career my own and some startups and yeah, working for big clients in my a uh, few years ago was you know clients were like david jones and jetstar anz thank you we're a client that's how we met actually yeah. um, <laughs> um and uh a whole bunch of businesses and cadbury and all these great companies that are you know good in so many ways but um i was constantly like at odds with that because marketing is primarily especially for a lot of these big businesses um you know it's either on one, one angle, on the most optimistic angle, it is helping cu- customers find the thing that's right for them to make their lives better. Mm-hmm. On the other end, it's manipulating people. Yeah, what, and you can right. decide which piece of marketing fits in that spectrum. And brought more, than, more often than not, um, there were brands that were believed they had a purpose and believed they were trying to make the world better but didn't really authentically act in that way. Mm. So they would have a purpose. That's also, their, their brand... Um, their their brand statement or whatever mm. after the market was yeah. that we're doing things for good, but the reality behind yeah. the scenes was they probably weren't. They probably weren't, but they didn't realise that. They genuinely yeah, thought okay. that we are yeah. 
for the good, but when you actually dig with it, it's like, but you sell food that is making people very unhealthy. You are co- or Coke. I didn't work with Coke, but for example, yeah. you know, they are encouraging people. They are helping obesity, and yes, there are sugar-free versions and whatever, but you are still getting people to consume way more calories than they should, mm. and you're doing it through aspirational marketing around happiness. That's a disconnect. It's very effective, and it's what shareholders want. So they, everyone that works yeah. at that company should do that. They're not bad people. It's just that's the state. And so through that time, it was always like, this is not right. What do I do? How do I use my skills for good? And um, uh, nearly started a business probably like eight years ago or something called Good for Profit. So I had a brand and a website, and I just read Richard Branson's um, Screw Business as Usual, I think it's called, where he'd case studied a bunch of businesses that went uh, purpose-led and, and actually made more money by improving the world. Um, and so I got really inspired and I was going to launch this thing. I didn't know what it was. I mean, it was a consultancy or a training or an advocacy thing and I was ready to go. And then just the timing wasn't right in my life. I had to invest more time into some other things and my, my personal situation. And so that didn't happen. Um, and so that kind of was just speculating in the background for a while. Met Beck through Thank You. Um, so we did some work together. We, we fell in love over data, actually. <laughs> we were doing um, customer research, customer research um, and surveys, pining over uh, customer feedback back which yeah. was um pretty cool yeah. and nerdy um or not cool, <laughs> not cool at all. um so yeah got into uh love thank you as an idea as well as everything that Beck said and just really believe that kind of when all that came together i was like um charities are ineffective and unsustainable at, at, at truly self uh, delivering change in the world they require others to invest in and they're effective at getting money uh, from people through donation sometimes through distributing and often not good at distributing it um, but they're a central part of it but then you've got these businesses over here who are effectively competing or combating that which are building mines and treating stuff like mm-hmm. crap mm-hmm. destroying the environment very efficiently so enterprises are great and a great way to achieve a lot of something it just happens to be it's all about profit and so yeah. they will promote a happiness message that gets you to drink more sugar because mm-hmm. that makes more profit and they are legally buying to do that yeah. so it's like but there's this efficiency here. So when the thank you model, and there's many more of them now out there that are you know, social enterprise, it got me really excited because it's like if we can get either a small business like thank you to grow, to be have scale and have a massive impact, that will dwarf what a charity will do mm. um, and have a sustainable long-term impact because they're yeah. selling stuff that people want and it's mm. not just asking for handouts. So, so kind of that was going on and then um, Beck really started this business and um, was passionate about creating a, a business that could support other startups and, and or social enterprises and stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe I've done that for my whole career. I want to do something else. Maybe I want to start like a bakery or a travel <laughs> business or something different. I don't know. I don't want to do another thing like that because I've always been an agency. And um, Beck... So I did completely get out of agency. Yeah, just yeah. like over it. So I went to a software company for a couple of years called Lexa that was awesome and doing great things. Um, so I was there at the time and Beck was pushing this thing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Maybe I'm not sure. Anyway, we, got, we did some practice projects and clients and um, found there's a demand out there for these really amazing companies that are genuinely improving the world and, and, and actually just really lovely to work with. They have some money to pay us to do something. It's not like what ANZ would have, um, but that's okay. It's enough that we can mm. make it work. And yeah, we kind of just over the last few months did some free work, got some paid work. They seem to like what we did and we just sort of have grown it into what it is now. Yeah. So yeah. In, in marketing roles... And now you're out of agency land and sort of, I guess, marketing roles. Do you, do you reflecting back, have times when you're asked to do things, you go, this, this doesn't, just doesn't feel like you talked about sort of having, mm. say, fast food and you're going, oh, well, it doesn't feel right. Yeah. We're trying to sell product we don't really believe in. Yeah. Do you, like, what's that line of going, you, you, 
it's yeah, really local. hard. It's yeah. really hard, like especially with things like gambling. Um, yeah. And that's a great, a good one to talk about. We talked about it a lot in my old agency, um, you know, because we were fairly, you know, left-leaning, ethically-minded people. But then it's like this gambling client has on one side a lot of money and also not they don't always drive bad behaviors they are like there are a lot of casual gamblers which is fine mm-hmm. it's the one percent that it's destroying their lives but it was a constant moral dilemma and we i don't think necessarily made the moral choice often yeah, because right. we were owned by a global company and we had to do whatever right. but it was it was constantly talked about and really challenging and and that was on the extreme ends of things like gambling where it's overtly you know create can create some problems but there is a spectrum of the fast food and the other other different forms of brands that are having a negative impact, but not clear. You hear about Sig. We interviewed Tim Burrows from Mum Brother, oh, cool. and, yeah, yeah. and we're talking about good versus evil, and kind of all it, like, the good is that at least creates jobs and economies. But yeah. then, like some of the big big groups, big ad, uh, ad groups, and other other agencies will be uh, will talk in a socially minded per- voice, but then go, "Oh, but we also do work for." For smoking companies, it's got, yep. it's got questions yeah, it's there, and, and you know, well, yeah. because they pay so much <laughs> from a financial side, are you going to say no? Well, you're probably not. Or and and you talked about sugar before, or potentially is, is coke, coke ethical or not? Yep. But who's going to say no to having coke as a client? Sometimes I guess that, yeah. that that's that really sort of big mm. big dilemma, isn't it? Yeah, it's really challenging. What's yeah. your thought? Oh, yeah, no. it's a tough one. I I actually came from the world of media before thank you media buying especially specializing in outdoor and billboards um is quite an interesting space with the deals that go on Mm. and uh how much money there is in it as well so i think there were many there were many many moments um doing my job where i you know felt very challenged Mm. on the integrity and um just the transparency that was happening or not happening Mm. um so yeah i think it's just it's a challenging Mm. one but i think and i think it was interesting at that time so that was like five or six years ago where social enterprise was still just such a new concept there was a bit of like this thought around well this is just how business works and this is normal and it's fine and you brush it aside and you keep going but i think uh what we've really seen in the last few years is a it's a groundswell of of actually business for good and doing things the right way through every level through your governments how you treat your workers um, how you treat the environment it it all makes a difference yeah. and does that i guess that um being i guess business for good uh like you say here about big businesses that they're so big that it's it's in their mind, from the shareholder side or from the, mm. uh, the board side, it, it's hard for them to be business for good because they've got they've got um, costs to pay. Did it, I mean yeah, costs to pay and I know, targets to sort of hit? Does it need to be almost at a ground level when the business is forming mm. to go? We are going to be a business for good and structuring yep. the business accordingly. Or like Simon, you talked about like charities, and we've all done work for charities. You go, wow, they just it's just not working. The, 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 the model's not quite there. But yeah, like, how does it sort of start? Like it's it, interesting. So like you'd think that, and I think predominantly that is the easier way to mm. approach it. But heard it um, the talk from uh, Patagonia recently. They came here, and the the head of head of 
chief philosopher, I think his name is, one of the founders. Yeah. Um, it was interesting to hear their story because they are for good business. They mm. are leading the charge globally. But they actually started as just a manufacturing business. And it was like 10 to, 10 to 20 years before they actually went, no, no, we're here for purpose and we're going to reorganise ourselves mm. around that. So almost restructuring the business yeah. and the purpose of the yeah. business. Yeah, just aligning everything. And what they found is they became more successful and made more money. Mm. Okay. It's not actually – that's the thing that we're seeing as more and more of these businesses emerge. It's not a question of purpose or profit, which has probably previously been the dilemma. It's like, oh, we should just invest some CSR money and help some people over mm. here. It's like, no, 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 no. If you – um, and Richard Branson's book on this, Screw Business as Usual, is great. It's quite old now, but it's got so many case studies where Marks and Spencers did a whole bunch of stuff to change their supply chain, and they saved money, yeah, improved okay. the quality of the product, and customers bought more stuff from them. It, it, but it, they did it through the lens of good. It almost gives a reason or an excuse to change the business for mm. people who might be stuck in their ways previously to actually go, wait a minute, let's think about it a different way. Instead of me coming to you going, oh, you run this division, can you just make it better, please, and make more money? You're like, well, I'll just do more of what I'm doing, and I'll, I'll yes, I will, I'll improve it. But as opposed to going, okay, take a different perspective, think about it through the lens of impact and positive positivity and improvement, you'll probably use less wasted, have less yeah, waste okay. in your business, which will save you money and also improve the environment. So yeah. it typically is that, but I, I, why I kind of up on about this is I think the potential that a business of a scale, like some of our biggest companies in Australia, if one of them could change their impact on the world it could like like make so many people's lives better yeah. um and that's where i, I see that one day these all these enterprises either become that big or they lead the way so that these other companies yeah, can okay. follow and yeah. and imagine if jetstar which do some cool stuff with star kids and other things but imagine if they could transform to be a truly um, social enterprise company where the shareholders are proud they also have reaped the rewards and made more money off the back of it yeah okay because they've yeah. improved the world and, and yeah. I assume that comes from the leadership. So, you know, let's say, for example, the CEO goes, "This is this is not the way we should be behaving yeah, as a business. We're so. going to change that that focus, and we're going to make yeah. it a true vision. And we're not we're going to live and breathe it, yeah. whether it's a bank or retail or whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. And making yeah. that kind of that change is that is that right, Pete? Yeah, I think so. And I think actually. Um, one of our clients is B Lab, uh, which they do all they the not for profit behind um, B Corp companies, and they are actually advocating at the moment. Simon, you'll be able to explain this a little bit better than me mm-hmm. around benefit company and um, basically actually setting up your business structure so that you are considering how you're balancing profit <coughs> and purpose from that. From sort legal. of high high governance, yeah. Yeah, because like and the fundamental problem at the moment is that a company is or and a board and executive are accountable to shareholders, mm-hmm. and they are legally bound to make more money for the company. If yeah. they do things that are against that, they are like fireable. It's illegal. Like they have to do that because of the way that companies yeah. are set up. It's it's more over in the US as well, but it's pretty big here. And so this idea, and I don't know the full details of it. They could explain it better, um, but. Uh, it's basically creating a change to your constitution so that you actually, okay. as a shareholder, uh, as the board and shareholder executive, you are accountable to make profit and achieve a certain outcome yeah. and improve the world. So now these, because there's um, some great documentaries about this, but like the CEO of, I think it was um, Bridgestone Tires or something like that, like a real bad company, like that destroys things. Um, they, The CEO after he left was like, I had to make the decisions I made, I, not because I believed in them, but because I would be, it's illegal if I didn't improve the profits of the company. What he personally wanted to do was change their practices to be more mm. environmental, but he wasn't allowed to. That's so right. I think that's one thing, the structure, mm. but as well the leadership. Like thank you is what it is because of 
Daniel and um, Jared and Justine because they believed in it and they they could have taken many times easier routes that would have um, gotten them to a profitable or whatever point, but Mm -hmm. they kept prioritising integrity over that. And it it ended up, it was always a bit harder and they had to push against it, but it ended up making them a better business at the end of it. But it just takes that intention. But being really clear about those values, isn't it, really? You're talking about earlier in your marketing careers of of going, you'd be doing things you're not sure yeah. about. You almost need to, yeah. like, as an agency even, you need to go, we don't do work for blah. Yeah. It almost needs to be written out because yeah. if you get that, yeah. totally. that brief come through and you go, well, there's no written rule yep. and it's, exactly. it's money and, yeah. and no one's going to knock back a couple hundred grand or whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. It's just, it's just not responsible. Yeah. So, yeah. But if you've got it written down... And we've done that with our little tiny little business. Yeah, um, that's right. We've, we've um, taken the UN Sustainability Development Goals so these are 17 goals that are set globally of things that we all need to help achieve to improve the world. Things like um, deforestation, access to water, um, economic um, movement. Um, gender equality, yeah. education. So, yeah. yeah, so there's a whole lot of those. And we, what we do is we review subjectively-ish, because we only know so much, we review potential clients against that. And if we, on a scale from... Um, at one end, they are proactively solving this problem, so they're doing something that's really directly improves that area, slightly helping it, neutral, slightly dis- negative mm-hmm. or destructive. And if any clients are negative in any way, um, without a clear counterbalance significantly the other way, um, we won't work with them. So yeah, if they're destructive, okay. yeah. just not even talk to them. And then we need to be working with companies who are doing some positive. They're not just a generic neutral yeah. company. They're actually mm. doing something for yeah. one of those goals. And that's made a, it's been a huge um, help for us to make yeah. decisions about what Which we're Which is doing. almost counterintuitive, isn't it? Really? When you're a new business, you go, well, we need to yeah. make sure we've got But the interesting thing through. on that was like when, we, uh, when I was first explaining what we were doing at Harvey at the beginning to friends and stuff, very early on, I was like, oh, telling some mates, this is what I'm thinking. And they're like, oh, yeah, cool, great, sounds good. But uh, you sound like just another marketing thing. As soon as yeah. we said we, do, we want to work with, ideally work with purpose-led companies that do this, this, and this, and here's some examples, they straight away go, oh, I know someone that, can, that needs that. Someone yeah, that fits okay. that criteria. Someone who wants to be more purpose-led. It actually opened up and more work and yeah. better uh, positioning of us to help businesses that align with us. Yeah. So as soon as we made that choice... It made it easier. Yeah. And I think that can work for companies when it comes to like employing people. If you had to take a particular stance on things, you can attract the best people who might want to work for you, not for the top salary, but because they believe in your mm. purpose, yeah. Yeah. which means you can run a better company. The idea of being a values-based business yeah, exactly. rather yeah. than being just a rules-based business. Yeah. And it's kind of in the, somewhere in the middle, isn't it, really? What, what about like banks? You sort of There was something you wrote recently about oh, yeah. finding a bank. And, yeah. But like, one of the things... Like, I guess there's a line that all, all banks are bastards and most of them are probably. They're, they're led by money, really. So, yeah. but how, like, in, in those, and you had the Banking Royal Commission recently. Yeah, that exactly. Basically, I think about page three, it just said that the, what was, was on the line, there's a pa- great paragraph of saying that all the advisors were salespeople, the salespeople were pretending they were advisors, it was all about profit, it was nothing to do with customers. Yep. So, like, when you've got, like, that kind of sector that's kind of got, um, yeah, such sort of entrenched, yeah, like, mm. I don't know, stereotypes really, yeah. or generalisations yeah. that are probably generally correct. Yeah, like how do you like how do you get an organi- a, a sector like that to kind of start rethinking how they do what they do, and and, are, mm. and can you see kind of yeah. organisations in that space, for example, that yeah. get stamped as being bastards? Yeah, as, as doing more good. I mean, I think there's there's kind of like two levels. That the first thing is we all buy from these companies, yeah. so it's our fault. Yeah. So, so we have like, a choice not to use them. Yeah. yeah, you can go extreme with that, where it's like think about everything in your life that you consume or behaviors you have, and how good are they for the environment? Did 
Bridgestone make bad tyres that kill the planet. This energy company is bad. But do you buy their petrol? Do you drive a car? Do you mm-hmm. have a phone? If you're truly like um, idealistic about this, you shouldn't do anything. You should just mm-hmm. stand in the corner and not do whatever. Just which, be naked on yeah. some deserted <laughs> island. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's like we are creating the demand. If we change our behaviours, which is happening, and that's what Beck talked about earlier, these things can change, right? So I think sometimes it's, it's harsh, it's, too, it's unfair to judge these businesses when their goal is profit and they are legally bound to that right but then they're what's really exciting and why we're really motivated to be doing what we're doing is businesses like bank australia which is what i, I wrote about in a linkedin article the other day um we went with them um they talk about ethical banking and they do things like they don't invest in certain industries that are destructive hmm. um so that's a stance they've taken that will mean those industries over time with more banks follow will have less access to finance mm. and so the other industries will thrive the way they treat their staff, the way they hire people at Bank Australia, they have a much more diverse type of people that work there who from who may be less polished and smick salespeople, mm. but from our experience, when we went into the branch and went to sign up, it just felt warm and lovely and supportive. Mm. It's really like, oh, authentic, yeah. real Is that people. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so the team felt very authentic. Yeah, yeah. just like real people yeah, who okay. is just like chilled out and just having a chat and yep. not being over the top or yeah. um yeah. I genuinely want to know what our business was and we thought they were trying to sell us something like oh tell us about your business and we're like oh no no just set up our account go away but then they when we we said some stuff they were like oh that's really cool and what are you doing here oh you should meet this person they were just genuinely mm-hmm. like it was weird that a bank felt nice yeah. <laughs> to work with and Becky um, talked right at the start about like love sort of about being a bit it was about being selfless yeah. and that's kind of coming through the same thing isn't really mm-hmm. about businesses for good are, are, are selfless and they're probably yeah. they're probably a little bit selfish too because they, they want to make money or yeah. they're working through there but it's kind of finding that balance isn't yeah. it, really where but i think that's where it's cool in that you don't need to compromise profits to be purpose-driven mm. and we've seen that example in a lot of successful businesses like thank you for one of them is that I think we are moving into this new economy where people are demanding, um, you know, that positive impact. And so by doing that, you can actually thrive Mm -hmm. and make great profits and create a great working culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Do you think it's also... Sorry. 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 Yeah. I mean, and and where it's like, so we've got these consumer businesses that you can now buy from that are better and people are starting to shift that way. And it might start that it costs a bit more for the consumer and they may be happy with that, but it's also going down in price and something like, thank you. It's not an out of reach product. But then what's starting, what I'm starting to learn about now is like banks and superannuation, for example, you've now got, you know, not new, but ethical super, for example, are investment fund. If they're investing that money ethically, there are going to be more businesses that are more viable, have more scope to uh, build businesses that are ethical and improving the world, which then gives us more choice to buy from those. And so now that money is moving around and there's there's investment groups, impact investment funds, which we've just learnt about, and they are they have a filter or a lens where they only invest in someone if they're good. And some of them are actually half kind of it's not philanthropic because they still want it to be a profitable, sustainable business, but they're just half of it is just that the outcome for them is that this business is making the world better, not yeah. just money. Okay. Um, so there's this kind of interesting shift happening now where there's more and more of these impact funds and really lovely, inspiring people who run them. And I think it's like three trillion dollars globally now in that sort of sector, um, where Money is now coming, which then enables more of this stuff to happen. And as consumers have choice, it might actually become more mainstream pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if there's, there's a bit of a theme coming through as well of your business, business and the businesses you're working with. Um, and it's a line that we use of not all customers are... Um, 
not all customers are equal and you don't need to have all the customers, you just have to have the right mm. customers. So it's, say, a, you know, a big retailer or a big bank and the whole way of doing business is you kind of need everybody, to, almost like it's a big, yeah. big net kind of I don't know, gouging the sea to catch any, any fish they can. But in new businesses, perhaps being a little bit kind of clear about what the purpose is mm. and attracting like-minded customers, is that... Is that fair? Is that is that is that reasonable? That it's more about yeah, definitely. Yeah, like that. I think you're seeing like when you think about the big banks, how do you differentiate them really? Mm. Like, and they're all trying to pretend to be different and special, but they all have basically similar rates and yeah. similar service. And it's so I think they're and they're you know they're doing well. They're making a lot of money. Really, hopefully things like the Royal Commission help fix that. That's right. But um, as these all these little businesses that pop up who are distinctly unique and different right. that threatens and challenges and that's a confidence isn't it really to yeah. say we are going to be different yeah. and we're not going to be like a meeting I had to, today to print, present back to a client we've got a couple quite different yeah. clients and it's it's almost like if you, you take the um, I guess the, the stereotypical business in a sector that's maybe not doing business for good mm. and you're almost the opposite of it you can actually kind of find a really great niche yeah, yeah. market yeah. To, to build there and it, it sounds silly but you've got, yeah. you got to do things well you've got to have a good product you've got to have yeah. a good service yeah, yeah. But you can actually, you don't need to be, yeah, you can, you can, you can find customers that are willing to have, like, yeah, yeah. strong values-led businesses, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are, the, I think the bigger organisations are starting to, like, acquire um, these businesses too and retain the uh, purpose that they have. So yeah. P&G are buying, you know, or converting companies to B Corps within their group, right? Okay. Yeah. So, so rather than absorbing them and Yeah, yeah, and like them killing them. them. Yeah, they actually see there's value in this stuff and, you know, we'll yeah. see. Maybe they do over time kill them and it goes back to being whatever. But, um, you know, all the people that work at the, the P&Gs and the whatever the world are good people. They, love, they want to do better, but they just need... Examples of businesses they can follow, or some time to test these things, and yeah. you know because they still have a job to do. But yeah. um, and your sense is that there there is um, good market sizes of customers enough to kind of make sort of viable businesses grow. Like focused in on like doing good like for like well yeah interesting the thank you um, I was going to talk about how like a lot of customers with thank you don't actually. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. One of the key insights, um, my time at Thank You, with some initial customer research we did, was um, actually the level of awareness of impact was less than half of the product buyers. Mm. So that sort of implies that people were just buying the Thank You hand wash the products because it was a great product. Um, First and foremost, it met their needs. It was good value. It was good quality. And then the bonus point is that it was also creating um, Mm. positive impact. And I think that's a pretty good rule to live by in that, um, like, yeah, it was something that we said a lot at Thank You, but you don't sell on a cause because if you try to sell on just a cause, people will only buy it once. Yeah, that's but they won't yeah. but they won't return if it's a cause and an average product. So number one, make a great product. Mm. And if it has yeah. that, that and that's yeah. a hygiene factor, isn't it? If it yeah. Yeah. but it doesn't have that great product, that great service. Yeah. It doesn't okay. matter what impact, yeah. Because yeah. 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 otherwise you're like a charity, right? You're just mm-hmm. asking for handouts. So make yeah. a great product that people want to pay for, figure out how to make the business model work to make a good impact on the world off the back of it, mm-hmm. and that's like the future of our planet, right? Like, 
because then we can think you can grow or whatever all these cool businesses can grow and scale and leave a massive you know impact so um yeah people will continue to be selfish say when we talk about these businesses being more effective or um profitable you know balance perfect profit it's not because you're using cause to solve sell yourself like beck's saying it's just you can change the way that you operate internally and you change the way your supply chain or you change mm. the way you hire or maybe you don't waste as much on electricity or switch to green energy or yeah. all these things that maybe the consumer doesn't even know about but they love your beer and your you know mm. stone and wood are a great example they're a great and it still beer. could be offering value or yeah exactly world yeah. Or just, yeah exactly yeah. 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 yeah and if that story does come into a little bit that's great if it's the lead of it that's great it's probably more just like is the beer good i love the beer and oh yeah cool you're doing some good things to the world yeah because yeah. we're certainly sensing in our research now that there's more of a um like we find sometimes in australia where people go well we don't really we have got less of a climate change issue because it's australia the only can see beautiful <laughs> yeah. blue skies but i think there's more of an understanding now that that we do we have issues and we're part of the world which is yeah. which is which is great uh we we did find sort of let's go about 10 years ago 20 years ago we'd have more conversations around Oh yeah, I want to, I, I want to use green energy. Oh, but if it costs more, mm. I, and it was, it was always that awkward. Almost mm. they wanted they wanted both. They want they wanted both there. But I think yeah. it's certainly much more of a conversation now of understanding of what that is, yeah. and, and maybe yeah. that that in, that it's it's imperative that we actually do something about mm. things yeah. and that mm. conversations occurring and. Yeah. Um, and maybe just that that ability to be able to share a good cause as well. So, yeah. so in, in the marketing sense of how, when you so you've got the good product so that's ticked off, yeah. And and it's a business for good, so it's got the good uh, the right business structure. It's not for profit. It's kind of doing good things, but it's it's making good good. Um, it's it's um it's it's a it's a viable business. Mm. Uh, yep. Like how do you market a bit? How do you how do you build the brand when it's a when it's a social sort of business for good? Mm, that's a big question. It is. Yeah. I, mean, I think it's on the point you were saying before, which is you've got to just meet the needs of the customer. Mm. So create a relatable yeah. brand they want to they they relate to, they want to be a part of, they believe in, and they want to buy your product. And that might be zero to do with the purpose of your business, like the internal business. Mm. It's just like we sell a great beer, and it's you know good for a sunny afternoon. Mm. Drink a beer. Yeah. That's it. You know, it's just standard marketing, right? Yeah. But standard marketing probably is more change, which is what you were talking about before with like niche and focusing on who you are yeah. and not just being bland. That's probably more changed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would see it as that. I don't know yeah. What you think. yeah. Well, yeah, I guess the standard thing with marketing is just understanding who your customer is and yeah, and, and finding that insights that meets their needs. But from like a branding perspective, it's just um, being really, really clear, obviously, on who you are and what your purpose is, um, and then how you can bring that out to the world. I, I've seen the power of um, community uh, in brand building and yeah. building your marketing, and, and that is much cheaper than buying billboards or TV ads, yeah. and it's a lot more authentic mm-hmm. and a lot more powerful. I saw that a lot, and I, I mean, I had the... Um, the opportunity to be able to be part of growing that movement and community at Thank You, Mm. that people were, um, obviously, yeah, they were buying it because it was great product, but then once you connect them to the impact that they were making, for example, every product actually had a unique, like, code, track your impact code on there where they could key in into the um, website to find out exactly where their project product is assigning is is assigned sorry words where their product (laughs) 
is assigned to fund um, a life-changing project yeah. somewhere in the world. And I think once people connected to that and realised that they were part of a consumer movement that together was creating that change and we were able to communicate that impact to get back to the customers mm. as well. That collectively, we've raised over $5.8 million yeah, okay. to give back to global poverty yeah. and to, to alleviate global poverty and um, people really rallied around that. Yeah, so having but, but making that commitment over time to, to, to doing that starts to build that strong community yeah. around us. So it's not a... Yeah, yeah. It's... it's um, it, it's it's not a not a um, a soulless brand. It becomes a it becomes mm. a like mm. a, a, a term of tribalness about a tribe, supporting yeah, that and, exactly. and building it. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, and people feel like they their actions can actually create an impact. Mm. So you know, we had a program like an ambassador program where people who were really bought into the cause could sign up to, and we'll give them little jobs like. Yeah. Um, tidy our shelves at Woolworths or Coles because yeah yeah, otherwise you know you would be paying a a team to go out to actually go and tidy up your shelves but instead we had customers who were passionate enough to do that on their weekly shops and they really because they had a great community the thank you brand they really got people rallying around them from the beginning but it was just like when they gave them those real tangible simple actions that they could take they just loved it because they're just like oh cool how can i help and not not too ethereal but like just push the products forward on the shelf so that we stand out a bit better and put labels forward Mm. you're like oh i can do that sure you know making it really easy and then they feel more bought into the brand Mm. and yeah yeah. and was that customers coming to the to thank you saying how can we help or is that going we need the community like we need to we'd like the community to support us or like how does I think that? it was a little bit of both yeah, yeah we ha- I mean the brand was built on on the consumer movement because before they got into Coles and Woolworths the first major retailer they got into was 7-Eleven mm. and um, you know up to that point it was quite difficult to pitch in another bottled water and stand up against Mount Franklin who has a very big marketing budget so they didn't have that marketing budget but they had people who were passionate about the cause so they actually ran this like campaign where they got people to post on 7-Eleven's page if you stock it we'll buy it and 7-Eleven's Facebook page was inundated within the first 24 hours of hundreds of people um, thousands saying stock it and i'll buy it and yeah, yeah. and 7-eleven you know sat up uh, they yeah. sat up in their seats and they listened and yeah that's good and, it and it's that it's, so so that you, you said earlier on that um there's more of an appetite for like for for brands with purpose and is that just is, is that um consumers i guess wanting choice it sounds like that's that's one reason so the, the mm. consumers wanting choice and maybe not happy with uh, brands they don't trust or they're mm. not happy with, mm. and I assume the other time, other ways that they're seeing examples of brands having a purpose. So there's the expectations are going up that mm. so mm. they're seeing that exactly. there are brands out there that are doing good. Is it yeah. is that kind of it? The, the choice and the choice and being, I guess, the, the consumer being more educated that there there are there are other options out there. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a little bit that, and just like. The what Thank You's product was back to the, just a simple product. It was just a nice looking bottle, the mm. hand wash. It was beautifully designed. It stood out on the shelves where everything else yeah. was white and green, like sterile. They innovated and made their business better with a cool looking product. Mm. And it, yeah, purpose was massively secondary. So I think it still comes back to just do good 
to like provide good services and products to your customers, market it in a good way, and along the way, if you can make an impact, that's good. Yeah, um, yeah. But the other interesting side to this, I think, um, which almost helps solve the consumer marketing side is um, if you're a genuinely, authentically purpose-led company where you've got true values and you genuinely live it, which is not common, mm. um, the staff that will want to, people that will want to work for you will believe in that vision and, and, and values and, and want to work harder, do better work, and you'll attract great people who will, um, you'll be able to build a bigger and better team mm. who can then do great marketing, yeah, authentic okay. marketing, or build yeah. a great product and be in, because they're in touch with the customer and the idea, mm. or manage the supply chain efficiently instead of just someone who wants to get a job in marketing or in the, the innovation or the you know, logistics yeah. team and I'm just an accountant, that's why I'm here, I just want to do my accounting job. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm, I work, yes, I'm an accountant, I work here to help global poverty yeah. and, and that's one of the biggest challenges I've seen lots of brands try to invent a purpose and they say they make the world better whether they do or not is questionable um, but then no one really lives and breathes that and so when we tried in the past with big brands to we set some brand values and try to take it internally go okay cool now let's change the way your culture operates to align with what mm. you're saying externally and it just falls flat because they don't have the time to deal with that but also they don't fully believe in it they've got these nice things on the wall that say we are integrous and we are innovative and we are this it's like why is everything you're doing literally not in line with that (laughs) um and so yeah that's the other side to it is it all this marketing stuff to us is is, means nothing if the organization doesn't operate differently and then if you can do it where you attract great people and you genuinely live the values in a day-to-day sense your business will just be more effective because you'll change your supply chain, you'll improve your marketing, yeah. you'll improve your product, you'll be yeah. able to retain staff for longer because they're happier. Mm. Um, they'll work harder because they believe in the outcome. And I think passion drives innovation as well. Yeah. Because you're always looking, if you're, you yeah. care that much, you're always looking at how you could be better, yeah. how you could mm. change yeah. things, yeah. how you could innovate. And that's the, 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 innovate. That, uh, that's the whole team looking. Is that right? So yeah. the whole team's yeah. looking at ways to do things better. Yeah, yeah. and disrupt yeah. Yeah, that's how a really things good point. are currently done. Yeah, because yeah, if you're just working in a job and you want to try and perform, you're just going to try and perform to achieve your objectives. That's right. Which is like you've got a JD and you've got to do certain things. But if you work there because you're passionate, like Beck said, about the outcome, you'll just do whatever you need to do mm-hmm. to achieve that outcome. That's right. And every, if everyone else is doing it, then you're just constantly improving. That's right. And most business and government sort of talk very much about yeah. innovation, but... Yeah. I'm sure a lot of organisations just get the staff get to the point of going. There's like drones going to work, yeah. <laughs> and, they, and they don't they, they don't get that sense of fulfilment and they don't get yeah. that sense of joy. So yeah. they're probably not being innovative because they've, they've been told about risk and profit maximisation and, yeah. yep. and growth. So I think I wonder whether this is all about uh, that the only uh, um, the only success in business isn't growth. It's probably about it's, mm. it's about impact, and it's yeah. almost about defining mm. what that might be. Because then sometimes growth isn't, because growth just keeps on escalating. And mm. I'm assuming some of the businesses that don't do business for good, part of the problem there in that the C, no, no CEO by and large goes in wanting to do bad. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. assuming you, know, yeah. you, don't, you don't go into yeah. into anything to go. I'm going to do bad. You go into it, and, and you've got responsibility. So, so when Profit-making businesses keep on putting the targets up year and year and year. Yeah. Mm. That's a really hard thing to do. But when mm. you're actually kind of looking at what impact we're having, yeah. that's perhaps sort of changing the conversation a little bit. And so it's about the team actually thinking about, um, yeah, how do we do that more efficiently? Mm. How do we kind of think of new ideas? Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. And and like uh, like brands. So when you sort of when you when you're working with a brand early on and they've got a great product um, and they want to have it, so their brand is 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 a 
brand like with purpose like how do you how do you sort of sit down with them to kind of start working out great great product we know like you, you i'm sure you have different leaders who go you can you can hear their passion mm. but the the brand's not quite there how do you what what do you have workshops <laughs> or conversations you have with yeah. them to kind of bring consolidate it back they've probably got minds that go oh, what yeah, are all these exactly. things you go yeah, right back that's to a it. challenge yeah. yeah we have a lot of clients like that we mm. work with a lot of founders and business owners and they have so much passion so much heart they're amazing creative intelligent people um and yeah and that's where i guess our role comes into play of taking all of that passion and heart into um sort of dressing it up in a way that makes sense for the customer mm. and really digging around and asking a lot of questions around who their customer is what are their needs and meeting that with the brand's purpose yeah. um and packaging that up in a interesting way and um yeah and i think also like uh actually getting them to understand it themselves mm. so they might intuitively feel these things and act in certain ways but it's never like bottled or put written down mm. and so or articulated yeah. in a Elevator pitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we did one recently for um, an amazing client um, who, when you meet anyone in the team and you see what they're doing for their clients, you just feel ha- positivity, happiness, mm-hmm. genuineness. Like they're just great. They have this vibe. Yeah. That's not articulated through their marketing. Their yeah, marketing's okay. a bit dry and whatever. And so um, when we the process we went through with them to give like be practical, we. Um, Sent, uh, got some, uh, did a little survey to their customers. So, who, who, what do you like us? What, what do you, how do you describe us? What do you feel about us? Um, we got them to share some inspiration, some celebrities that represent their what they think represents the brand. They three words that best describe them. Collected all that, then ran a full day workshop where we got a few of the key team together yeah. and we uh, sort of really tried to draw each of these things out until we got alignment. Like, yes, that is a thing that we believe in, or yeah. a tone, of, a way that we like to talk, or a thing that we stand for. Mm-hmm. And that was like a positioning line. It was values. It was a brand essence. A description of the business. Um, it was quite intense, and it is quite an intense process. But you're really trying to draw it out, and not just get a, a lame word like innovation. Mm-hmm. So one of theirs was change the game, and. Um, in the industry that they're in they are I mean they didn't really realize this until we kind of really probed them on it was like what you're doing in this sector in the in the space that you're in you are literally doing stuff that's so different to every other business and each time you do something you do it differently and it's better and that's what you're known for don't just assume that and walk off and do that in your job let's bottle that up and say that's something we talk about something we we embody in the whole company and so we landed through that it was like a two-week process um, from the research through to the workshop through to finalizing it all i've now got this kind of brand values tone of voice Um, they're reviewing all the material against that now so does this piece of marketing, our homepage or our brochure, align with that? Um, do we need to change the way that we pitch ourselves in meetings or whatever? Um, and when they sh- their, their uh, marketing person shared it with the team, um, presented at one of their conferences, little team conference, and everybody was just like, "This is why I work here." I yeah. just okay. like it's made me clearer of what, how, yeah. why we are such a cool company. We are doing really cool stuff. There was it was emotional. It was inspiring yeah. because all it really did was capture what they genuinely were. Mm-hmm. So listening across those that couple of weeks, yeah, totally, and bringing back that essence yeah. of what it's all about. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and having them just be honest with what they truly believe in and what they why they've done yeah. this business to begin mm-hmm. with. So you were just sort of like, I'm assuming through that process, you're 
you're listening listening to common themes from their staff yeah. and their customers and their yeah. their leadership yeah. going through and yeah. and yeah. just almost picking that picking, picking it out, out and then we yeah. put it together with them with whiteboards and post-it notes in a room together for eight hours and we get them to actually mm. through some stuff we give them but they actually self-generate it so they write up statements yeah. like does that feel right it's like no that's not right yeah. this one that that's a bit too yeah. silly no that's the one and and That's we together right. coach them through that. And, and you'll almost sound like you'll you'll rise above it, almost like a helicopter yeah. view, and go right. What what are we sort of seeing there? Yep. How do we find that kind yep. of that, that scene? Exactly. And they might do something, and we're like, that doesn't. You don't. When you're saying that to me, this like statement, it doesn't feel like you genuinely believe it. You're a bit robotic, or it just doesn't feel right. They're like, yeah, I don't mean that. I mean this. Mm. Well, that's the thing that yeah. we should write yeah. <laughs> capture. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So so yeah, that's a, a that one a, example yeah, of it. Yeah. That, that, that's yeah. Um, so obviously when. You must meet or know of um, brands or businesses with good purpose and passionate leaders trying to change the world, etc. of really good uh, meaning. But they, they don't get it right. So obviously they don't get this, they don't get the brand bit, then that's going to fall flat. What, what, else, what else do you see like falls flat? It, it, it doesn't work. They, you go, oh, that's such a shame, such a great business, such a great idea, really wanted to make it work, but it just didn't, it just didn't work. Mm. Any sort of thoughts? Have you seen any that you kind of look yeah. at and... You think I think one thing is probably um, if there is all that passion and enthusiasm, the lack of prioritization. Mm. So oh, yeah. they're just trying to do a bit of everything and not necessarily anything that well. And mm. they know it a bit as well, but they don't admit it and see it. So they're just running really hard, doing lots of things and kind of like, why are you doing all this stuff? And probably not to the standard you even expect. And then you pull back and it's like, cool, let's stop doing all this stuff. Yeah. Mm. So I reckon that's one where they're just doing in so many different directions that everything is not quite working. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think... Um, with a lot of them, they run really lean, so they're just so busy just mm. trying to keep things afloat mm. um, and being so busy in the business that they uh, aren't able to take a step back and sort of think bigger picture yeah. uh, as much as they really need to. Yeah. And I wonder yeah. sometimes whether, like, particularly when it's a startup and they have a real, it's great, great passion, there's a real need, um, and they start off well, but then reality of paying staff or paying bills sort of starts to creep in and then like I guess it's sort of knowing how, how do you maintain your mm. sense of purpose when when it starts to get tough I guess it's sort of looking mm. for yeah. making, making sure you don't run out of money I guess is the key one and making yeah. sure you do have good funding and good investors and, and the likes isn't it really isn't yeah it? And I, th- I think the yeah. better ones are actually more conservative they actually yeah, okay. have quite a rigorous financial approach and yeah they, okay they, they grow organically as well i really like businesses that grow mm. through customer like like through sales yeah so they're not just spending a year working on something to then launch it they're actually trying little tests where they can do mini yeah, versions okay. and pilots yeah. and then go oh that didn't work that did they paid lots for that that's good that there's value there they shape their business and then they start hiring people yeah. rather than going big bang building this giant thing and hoping that's just you're stuck then with like yeah. this backlog of cost and whatever yeah. so it still yeah. comes yeah. so it still comes back to a business and business yeah, fundamentals doesn't yeah. it yeah. Yeah. otherwise it just sort of falls in a great big hole yeah. Yeah. Yep. and you must find yourself having those conversations of going well like there's, there's no um there's no point having this bold vision of 10, yeah, 20 yeah. years in the future if you can't get those those steps right to actually going to have some yeah. fundamentals there. Yeah, I think that's another thing that I was going to mention. The, the bold vision, I think, is often um, more emphasis and time and energy is put on that than what that actually means in the short term. Mm. So I've seen lots of businesses do mm. that, our clients, but in the past, even roles that I've been in, where we've talked about this lofty, ambitious, you know, we're going to change the world and do amazing stuff. And then the team are like, huh? 
Like, I've got a job to do. What do I do tomorrow? Do I still, like, do Facebook ads? And do I change the copy? Or do I uh, change the program? Is this customer aligned? Like, tell me. So, um, yeah, we're seeing a real... Where we um, seeing some, like, clients really like what we're doing is do that the high-level stuff, but then bring it down to a plan and some actions. For, mm. like, and a timeline week. as well. And a timeline. It's like, next week, you're going to change your homepage. You're going to delete that video because it's off-brand. Or you're going to tell your staff that you're not doing this product anymore. Or you're going to, you know, these are the thing communications you're going to do immediately and the actions you're going to take, as well as a timeline over the next three years of projects and priorities. And they're also saying, we're not going to do stuff, which goes mm. back to the priorities earlier. Mm. But I think the... A lot of I know I've I've done the past on big strategy with this bold vision we're going to change the world for better and you chair the staff this big presentation with aspirational stuff and they're all like I don't know it's too high cool what do I it doesn't feel real mm-hmm. breaking it down into chunks and go all right so now you need to get a client like this or we need to stop serving those ones or we need to change the way that we hire in this yeah. area or like really tangible stuff and then because people really want things they can own and execute on in a mm-hmm. weekly basis and a monthly basis knowing that it going it goes towards yeah. a vision but. Yeah, I think connecting that is another big piece that's missing often where they just spend all this time thinking about the big thing mm-hmm. and don't go, well, yeah, what do we do now? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, And as soon as you do that, it all kind of glues together. We had a strategy day last week up in regional Victoria and um, they had a lot of lofty ideas and sort of a bold vision, which is really cool. Um, and then we just kind of threw a process um, through the day and the pro- leading up to it, ended up with a five-year plan with five strategic programs of initiatives they're going to do mm-hmm. around locations and brand and da 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 and it just it, none of it was rocket science or brilliant they were like oh yeah that's kind of what we were talking about but they'd actually all agreed that was what it yeah, was okay. in that sequencing so what, what do I have to do today or this yeah. week or yeah. rather than what's going to happen in, yeah yeah one day maybe and vaguely it was that's like right. clearly we're going to try and expand in this way yeah. over this time cool right. we can tell the team that now they can now all help us find new locations mm. cool let's go yeah. off and do it okay. yeah I'm having a taxi a rider few months ago I was in Sydney and um, he made a comment of going most workers don't sort of sign up to be an entrepreneur or an innovator they kind of turn up they, they, they might want to make a difference they might want to have a contribution but the idea of kind of coming to work every day going like yeah, like yeah. thinking too too boldly too about big. the future they go well if I was going to do that I'd do my own bloody business so <laughs> yeah. kind of knowing how to yeah how, how to kind of keep that sort of that, that focus and structure and not getting too lost I think is a critical one yeah mm. um and even knowing I get one of the I guess areas we've discussed in a couple of these interviews is um of where the, the like what ideas we're looking for and and where the what, what the key focus of what, what, what are we wanting staff to really focus on um uh, in terms of efficiency improvements or or ideas we're wanting to, to, to mm. go, rather than having it so it just becomes this yeah. big scattergun of like yeah what do I do thinking it just becomes kind of gets gets too lost yeah yeah cool we we started off with both of you as sort of eight ten year olds um, what like looking forward what what would you suggest to you know, young people or people sort of moving into the future so yeah people you were talking to people sort of I don't know let's say end of high school sort of mm. in uni what would you be suggesting they do to have a successful you know, career life whatever that might be mm. you've got so much to to, yeah. to conquer but what, what do you sort of what do you think what would you suggest I think one of them is is to stay humble yeah and and always know that there's more to learn and that is um, 
very exciting, I think, mm-hmm. because there's so much to learn about the world. There's so many different industries. It's so interesting talking to uh, individuals and le- hearing their story and learning from them. I think it would be to go into your career with a very open mind and be like a sponge and try to t- take in as much as you can. And don't try to box yourself in too early and be like, oh, I'm a, I'm in marketing, so I shouldn't learn about what finance does or what um, supply chain does because I think if you have that open mind, then it will set you up to be able to uh, think a lot more creatively and strategically and just be even a lot more empathetic to understanding mm-hmm. different people and different roles and I think that will set you up for success. Yeah, thanks, Pete. Mm. Yeah, I think on the empathetic thing, like just uh, to be grateful for way, what we have access to in the world, wherever you are, but also be empathetic of others that you're around and sort of understand where others are coming from and you'll be able to work with people better and, um, yeah, have a more enjoyable life. But um, I think the main point that Beck's making I agree with is just to have a growth mindset. I've always seen that people I work with, whatever seniority or not, they can do anything. And that can be disabling sometimes because it's like, what do I do? But you can genuinely do anything. You're not bad at maths or you're not bad at art. You just haven't figured it out yet or found it in yourself. And so don't buck yourself in, like figure, play with stuff, experiment stuff, believe you can do it. Um, all the stories in your head are probably wrong. Um, since you were a young kid, you've probably told yourself you're not good at maths yeah. um, and you're not a detailed person. Well, mm. you know, I used to be quite an abstract, strategic, like vague, all over the place, disorganized, late person. And now I'm really detail orientated mm. and spreadsheety and yeah. try to keep, make sure Beck arrives on time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still a late person. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just believe that you can, like, don't let that define what you do. Mm. Also, don't feel like you need to be the next Zuckerberg or Bill Gates, like, be hum- kind of humble and be grateful if you can just in your local country town make a little business or work for a a lovely leader and a bakery and make them a great business and be a positive influence on the community or hopefully around by being empathetic and stuff like that that's great too you don't we don't all need to be you know steep jobs um i think that can be overwhelming that's that's quite yeah it's um a relatively new conversation but almost like the bar set so high of what success means that's that's a really big yeah, that's a big bar to kind of set, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and it's and it's very unrealistic when when business uh, like I've heard of some people doing some programs, you know, incubator programs recently, where they use Google, Airbnb, Apple as case studies to learn from. It's completely bollocks. Like, why would any business be able to copy what they did to replicate that in their industry? If you can create the search engine of the internet, good on you. You'll make all the money in the world, mm. which is Google. But you're not. You're doing some other thing. So they're like the rare unicorns that are you know, out there, and it's great. Maybe, maybe one in a million of us are that. Cool. But be happy with being a small business or a medium business or whatever, or even being in a corporate or an, or an established business that exists and working for them and doing a great job. Like, that's awesome. Maybe you can make a positive impact in your community with your family or your local street and connect with your neighbours or help a community centre or mm. it doesn't need to be this gung-ho, do it all or nothing. Um, that's sort of where I've been changing my mindset over the last few years. I used to want to build businesses and buy them, invest and be this really successful, you know, whatever, business, entrepreneur, founder guy and I don't care about that anymore. Like it's, I've had some of that, I've made some money and it doesn't change your happiness. Mm-hmm. Satisfaction comes from, I think um, uh, there was a great talk I heard in the US last week, uh, last year where it was like your happiness is your 
the difference between your reality and your expectations. Mm. That's right. If you can just focus on setting your expectations, which is about empathy and it's about gratefulness and whatever, Mm. just be like, this is my reality. I'm grateful for that. I'm going to work within that. But if your expectation is above where your reality is too far, you'll just always be dissatisfied and frustrated and, you know, have challenges. So, yeah, that, that would be my... Yeah, cool. Thought. You've got the same surname, a bit of a unique surname. Yeah. Are you married? Yeah. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, yes. married. I know that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but where did your surname come from? How did you... Oh, so I'm... Uh, my... Name was Rebecca Chua, and Simon is Simon Small, and um, and then we thought it'd be nice to have the same name, but I didn't want to give up Chua. Yeah, and as well in Malaysia, you usually don't the lady doesn't necessarily give up their name yeah. for some reason, so we decided to call it Small Chua to just combine it and make well, it Small Chua. Started as a joke, but it started as a joke with one of my. Um, colleagues when i was back at thank you and when we first got engaged she just started calling me small chua and some people thought she was being rude around the office like she was referring to my size <laughs> you are kind of small then, <laughs> but then it kind of, it just caught on so we decided yeah. to both change our names to small chua and um, create the next generation of small choice. <laughs> and what's it like working with, obviously you do, we've had a nice discussion over the last hour or so, but working with your wife, your husband. Like, <laughs> yeah. I work with my wife. So that, that's oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, do you? Yeah. Yeah. oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So, How is it for you? Um, and, and sort of, it, it, uh, we've probably more over the last sort of six, seven years, probably more so, we've been going oh. 14 years. That, it is, it's good. I think you have different roles, the, the different mm. roles in the business, different roles at sort of home and different <laughs> different relationship. But yeah, mm. it, it, it is good. Uh, yeah. What do you think? What are the, what are the pros and cons? So far, it's been going really well. Like in December, we did a few practice projects just to see how it worked and it went well. And I think with us now, um, we are actually very complementary in our different skills. Yeah. So we, I think, you know, we take on different parts of projects or different types of clients, and that works really well and support each other in that. And as, as well as work style as well. Oh like yeah, our, our approach and style is different too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think as well, we've made it work because we have set ourselves boundaries of mm. personal life and work life. Um, so I think that's a really important one. Yeah. Kind of, and, you, and sometimes it blurs, and, but I think you just yeah. got to go, no, this yeah, is, this is not a home yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah so exactly. Yeah. yeah, we'll often be like out for drinks or, you know, in the morning when we're doing whatever on a weekend and we're like, Beck will be like, oh, I just one thing. And it's like, oh, no, that's a work talk. We can't do it. And then we're like, uh, no, it's okay. Let's talk about it. Is it cool? Is it an exciting thing? Like, yeah, let's talk about it. Okay, cool, cool, cool. But you have those moments where it's like uh, you're acknowledging it and not just letting it all yeah. blow. Sometimes we don't and we just let it go on. We're like, oh, crap, yeah. half an hour we've been talking about work and we were on a dinner date. Like, that was bad. And so you kind of go, oh, yeah. sorry, undo, undo, undo. And, uh, <laughs> and sometimes Simon lets it slip, like in client meetings, oh, and he calls yeah. me babe, which is a bit unprofessional probably. Yeah. I have called Christine sweetie sometimes in the uh, office. You go, it's nice. <laughs> so getting awkward. I think we had on, on Monday we had one and we had, and. And Christine said, did you send that proposal? It was due on Friday. And I went, no, you went to remind me. And then, then I realised I did send it, but it was that whole, when I mean, you haven't quite left the house going, did you send it? I thought you'd send it. So I think it's just that the relationship just changed. I think I think it's, a, it's also a trust thing. Um, yeah. I was I'm hoping to get um, uh, Scott Hicks and his uh, wife, 
I've got his wife's name onto the podcast as as well. So hopefully they'll they'll come up soon. But but that's sort of their their filmmakers and oh, and cool. another guy. Yeah, you have lots of successful husband yeah. and wife yeah. teams out there, and it's sort of almost something that you don't sort of necessarily think about. No, I came much, into this thinking like when we this was a, it was a real overt thing we were worried about or cons- aware of. Came into it being like, oh dear, this is you know more likely this won't work because of that. And then as we got into it, we just immediately heard of all these businesses like mm. you. I didn't know that. Mm. Um, you know, mm. there's a great business upstairs called Finch. They're mm. a fintech company. And there's heaps of them that are yeah. husband and wife and they make it work. Yeah. And yeah. that's cool. So, yeah. And being on that same wavelength and having those counterbalancing mm. characteristics yeah. in yourself. And, and finding your business, finding Harvey. Obviously, they can find you on, on the internet. We'll put, a, we'll put the URL and everything in there. But any, mm. any other ways of finding you? <laughs> funny we haven't really launched our brand yet yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going away next week to do some planning in byron to yeah. launch uh, to plan our launch but yeah. yeah our website is a pretty out of date and then pretty basic um, what's your domain name just say do harvey.com yeah. okay. um but yeah like we don't have socials i think we've got a we've got a facebook page maybe but they're not even all set up yet so um yeah kind of just follow us on linkedin talk to us personally and you know we'll um we'll launch the business soon um <laughs> once we've we're going to refine the brand a bit and the story and what our offering is. Um, in our, we're actually going to launch the business on July 23rd um, because that's actually the birthday of our dog, our first birthday of our dog. Yeah. Our dog's name is Harvey. Ah, there we go. This is, so I, was, I was thinking, is there some connection to Harvey, Harvey and, Normans, uh, which is completely not a business for good? <laughs> most, of the, most of the association with Harvey are not a good one. <laughs> the different Harvey's you know. That's We're going to make it a good, friendly, happy I wouldn't one. say Jerry Harvey's yeah. a business for good. But there we go. Um, thank you so much, guys. Thank that was you. Right awesome. Awesome. All right. Yeah, that's fine. Thanks a lot. Thanks. To comment on today's show, do so via Square Holes or myself on Twitter or your favourite social media. You can find me at Jason Dunstone. For more on today's show, other episodes and articles on all things human-centred, customer-focused, innovation and entrepreneurship, go to squareholes.com forward slash blog. Thank you for listening. Uru.